I'm not sure if you guys have ever been skydiving or anyone listening, but the first time I went skydiving, I had this massive adrenaline rush for like two days leading up to it. I'm about to throw myself out of a plane. And I remember throwing myself out the plane. I hit the ground and I'm shaking. I've got that much adrenaline running through my body. It was an incredible experience. An hour and a half later on the way home, I was asleep in the car <laughs> because it just all runs from your body and, you know, like you just want to sleep. You're exhausted. You've got no energy. That was like the block. Welcome to Season 2 of Voices of Value, a conversation between Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton and their high-achieving guests from professional sport, Olympians, business leaders and ordinary people with value hacks to share through simple life lessons. If you're keen to reach your next level personally and professionally, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts Rick and Peter. And welcome to another episode of Voices of Value. This is Peter Kakos here. Of course, alongside me, Ricky Rushton. Pete, uh, can I just start off by saying you're one of my closest friends. I want this to be absolutely public. I thought your auction on the block was absolutely outstanding. And uh, despite the fact that our firstborn child thought Cooley was better, uh, he's now out of the family. <laughs> but in all seriousness, mate, um, we were just so thrilled with the way you were able to Make the best out of a pretty tricky situation. You know, you got the. It was almost like you got barrier twenty three in the Melbourne Cup. You had to sort of do a lot from a, a bad barrier draw, no momentum in the race. You just picked up the horse, threw it over the line. Not like you didn't have a great product, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But in all seriousness, mate, uh, an amazing job. Despite the fact that Scott thought this was your first auction of all time, <laughs> we thought <laughs> yeah, you did a great good. job. I, I certainly got set up there, so maybe we might talk a bit about that uh, through the course of today's. Uh, podcast but um but we're going to talk block today all oh, things block and uh, we've had a lot of questions through the week so we thought we'd bring in no other than the man himself mr jesse rayburn yeah and that's our studio applause um which is going gangbusters well, thanks jesse, very much. welcome you've Thank had you. a big week um but this is the highlight clearly this is certainly the most exciting thing to happen to me <laughs> in the last uh 72 hours i believe <laughs> sitting down with- <laughs> So you didn't see that comedy side, yeah, did you? Yeah, oh. I love that. Yeah, I didn't see that on any of the episodes of the block much. But uh. but Jesse, this was a uh, this was a lifelong dream for you. And I remember being on the the block last year when you were an agent for Courtney and Hans, and I was an agent for Bianca and Carla. Um, we got chatting, and uh, I just absolutely uh, was so engaged with your energy, your enthusiasm, the way you went about it. And I I did walk up to you. Uh, during the, that uh, season and said, you will work for me one day. <laughs> Pete did actually say that to me. He said, uh, you will work for me one day. And I said, yeah, I know I will. And then he uh, said it in front of my boss the next time I saw him. I said, I thought that was a private conversation. <laughs> <laughs> not, not public knowledge at this moment in time. And now Jesse says that I will work for him one day. That's right. <laughs> I think that's right. I think it's very spot on. So, But this was a goal you had from a 14-year-old boy imagining being on the block, correct? Yeah, I was 14 years old watching the first season of The Block, uh, obviously in Bondi there with the family and said to them, I'm, I'm going to get on The Block one day. And I've applied three times in total uh, when, when I was like 19, 20 years old. And then when I moved to Melbourne, that was the, that was the goal. It's like, I'm going to get on The Block. I would love to be a contestant. Uh, but obviously 100,000 individuals apply every year, 50,000 couples. So the chances of being selected are extremely slim. Yep. And I thought I didn't like those odds. I had to do something more to get on the show. And so I put a plan into place uh, New Year's Eve two years ago and went about executing that plan and literally ticked every single one of those boxes and jumped every hurdle to get myself on the show as a contestant. So that first box would have been to actually get on there as an agent, yeah? 
Yeah, well, so the goal was to become an agent, to obviously meet the right people, to then get on as a contestant. Um, but even that as itself, you know, it's the most, the hardest contended listing in Australia. Every single agent wants to be on there and you're competing against blokes like yourself who've been in real estate for, you know, 25, 30 years, uh, some very senior agents. And uh, I worked for a boutique agency. They've never heard of us before. I was working for one of the other agents who are on the show this year, obviously Wilson Agents I was on. Um, and I thought, well, I'm not going to get on because of my experience and I'm certainly not going to get on because we have a massive agency profile and needs to be off my own back. And so I come up with a plan to actually sell them a property. So if I could sell them a property, they could use it on one of the seasons and I would meet the person who makes all the decision to hopefully impress him enough to be selected as an agent, to hopefully impress him enough to become a contestant. And that was December in 2017 I came up with that plan. And when I came back to Melbourne um, after being away on the holidays where I was with my family on the Gold Coast, I went and hunted a listing that would be impressive enough. I ended up listing a property for $15 million, pretty close to where the Oslo is, um, and then went about trying to find this bloke, Julian, who buys all the properties. And getting in contact with him is actually quite difficult. Well, it was two years ago. Now I speak to him every day. But at the time, he was like this mythical creature and I had no idea how to find him. And like this awesome listing, I wanted to sell it to him. And so over the next three months, I went about like I'm cold calling um, Channel 9 saying I need to speak to Julian. I'm dropping him emails. He's got two email addresses, dropping him messages on LinkedIn and just absolutely ghosted. I was like, there needs to be a better way. I started going to networking events saying, have you heard of this bloke, Julian? Have you ever met him? Do you know who he is? And I was at a networking event and I said, look, I really want to meet this guy, Julian Cress. If anyone knows him, please introduce me to him. And it was one of my friends from another, um, Hocking Stewart who said, I know the guy, uh, but I can't give you his number. And I was like, well, what do I have to do to meet him? And they said, well, we're trying to find five houses to use on an episode of The Block. Like last season, I said, well, what house are you looking for? They said, we're looking for an old period home. I said, perfect. Ran out the meeting, called a friend of mine who just renovated the oldest house in St Kilda. He just signed a lease agreement. The tenant was moving in in two weeks. I said, Frank, how would you like to get your house on TV? I can make that happen. Because obviously I didn't ask him, can I use it? I said, how would you like to? He's a bit egotistical as well. And he said, oh, I don't know. I said, you just signed a lease. I said, look, I'm telling you, if you get your house on TV, the next time you go to sell it, we get massive media coverage. We'll sell it for an extra 10%. The house is already worth $4 million. Um, that made him very excited. So he called the tenant and said, would you mind delaying moving in a couple of weeks? I need to use it for something. Um, and they said yes. And so then I took all the production crew down to the house to have a look at it. They were all salivating. It's like the oldest house in St Kilda. Alfred Felton, you know Alfred Felton? Not personally, no. 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 Well, so he actually, a third of the artwork at the National Gallery of Victoria was donated by this guy Alfred Felton in like the 1900s. It's still worth $3 billion to this day. He owned that house wow. in, in 1880, Waddle wow. House. And then Felton moved to the Espy. And when he was living at the Esplanade, which is where he passed away, he was renovating that house. So wow. massive history in St wow. Kilda. My friend owns it. I got it on the show. And in return was given this guy Julian's number. And this this is, I couldn't believe this. I called Julian and say, hey, mate, I've got this awesome listing for you. Um, you need to buy it in St Kilda. He goes, what's the address? I told him the address. He goes, oh, someone else is selling that. I said, no, I'm pretty sure I'm selling it. It's exclusive. He goes, no, 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 someone from Wilson. I said, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I said, why didn't you reply? He's like, oh, I've been getting emails and that. I, I don't know. I've been too busy. Yeah, I'm letting my lawyer reply with a <laughs> restraining order to stop this guy from hounding me. Exactly. So he already knew about it. He said, I'm already look, 
looking at it with my architect. I'm going to be down next Tuesday. So why don't, I, why don't I meet you at the property and we'll walk around it. So I spent about 45 minutes with the guy trying to sell it to him. I was asking 15 million. It was only worth about eight. It was $7 million overpriced. And he said to me, he goes, Jesse, this is the most overpriced listing in Australia. I said, I know it is, but you guys are the worst developers in Australia. <laughs> and the only people... The only people crazy enough to pay such a big price because you make all your money in advertising. And I said, we're going to build five brand new terrace homes and we'll make them look like Victorians. There'll be three stories. It'll be amazing. Double car garage at the rear. Um, he said, look, it's it's not going to work for us, but I love your hustle. Why don't I introduce you to some contestants? I think you'd be really good on the show. And that's how I got introduced to Courtney and Hans to become an agent. So very clear plan, very strong vision, was prepared to really make it happen. All the stuff we talk about, Pete, in this podcast about having the uh, the real high achievers understand the difference between stating a preference, I'd like to be on the show, mm. versus I'm making this an absolute must do and I'll do whatever it takes. I'm surprised you didn't go pick him up from the airport and um, you know, bring him to the property direct but that's so, what I hear in all of that. So the gentleman that, uh, that Jesse talks of is Julian Cress who is the executive producer of The Block, um, one of the smartest minds in television. Um, he was the creator, co-creator of The Block and uh, just an incredible, incredible man and has done some amazing things. And, uh, yeah, the block is what it is today. I think there was something like, I don't know, is there 3 million viewers or something like that on, on block auction night, something like that, just a few people that, you know, that watch it. But it's amazing, you know, hanging out with Jesse and we go to cafes and stuff like that and during the, the, the filming people would come past and go, go house five, go house five. <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually quite amusing. But they saw a, an interesting side to you on the show, Jess, that um, that – Oh, I guess how, how were you described? You were described as arrogant, as egotistical, um, argumentative, um, all these sorts of things here. I, I think we could probably tick all those boxes. Yeah, I think um, there's, there's a few more we can However, however, well, however one thing that, that became really evident throughout and, and particularly it was like a crescendo to the end of the show is how hard a worker you were and also how much you gave to the other contestants along the way. It's a, it's a mental as well as a physical challenge, yeah? So maybe let's start on that. Let's That's talk it, about yeah. the mental and physical side of doing the block. Yeah, so the, the hard the hard work is not the hardest thing about the block. I, I used to be a tradesman, so I love hard work. I've done 12, 14 hours today, um, you know, 12, 14 hour work days in 40 degree heat in 100% humidity in North Queensland. So hard work is not, that's not the hardest thing about the show. It's the mental side of it and the sleep deprivation. On average, you would get four hours sleep per night. And I know how I feel typically after like one night bad sleep, you know what I mean? Like it ruins your morning almost, let alone going 14 weeks, averaging four hours sleep a night. Only two Saturdays out of the 14 did I sleep. So I was waking up Saturday morning, 6 a.m. and I'd go to bed Sunday at about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So that, that's the hardest thing about it, I think, is the sleep deprivation. And then the mental side of it, you're, you're in a, what we call a block bubble and all the producers are obviously trying to get content from you and you start getting extremely paranoid. Um, you know, a bit of linen will go missing and you're abusing the producer. You're saying, you've hidden it from me. And one of the funniest moments was Andy and Deb thought a producer had stolen their bed, like a king-size bed, and they can't tell you anything. And Andy and Deb are running around for an hour blaming everyone for losing the bed. They were actually walking over the top of it for an hour. <laughs> it was in wrapping on the floor with rubble on it and they were stepping over it. And you literally start to lose your mind. It's almost like cabin fever. Yeah. yeah. And there is a, there is a lot of negativity on the show. 
Um, like a lot of the judges' feedback is quite negative. A lot of the feedback from Keith and Dan can be quite negative. And so you're constantly trying to fight against that. And I, I copped a lot of negativity for the first four weeks in particular. Um, like you said, a lot of people said I was a smart ass. I was arrogant. Um, he's full of himself. You know, he's not going to make it. Um, and that to me was really hard because I'm a very positive and optimistic person and I love to help people. Yeah. And my way, I think, of combating that negativity was to go over the top with my mm. level of confidence and enthusiasm. And it was funny because at the start, Australia really didn't know how to take me and they said all the words that you said. Um, but then they started to see that, well, I actually was doing the work. Mm. It's one thing to talk a big game, but if you can back it up, then I think you win people's respect. And that's why towards the end of the show, I really started to earn the respect of Australia. Sure, yeah. yep. And, you know, from the, at the start, people in cafes would come up the first couple of weeks when I'm on the show and go, oh, hi, Jesse, I don't really like you on the show. And then those same people towards the end of the show were going, I didn't like you at the start, but now I think you're <laughs> bloody awesome. Yeah. People were just full of confidence to come up because I, I had such a massive change in the public perception that everyone was saying that I didn't like you at the start, but now I love you. Yeah. And we really think, you know, you guys deserve to win. You're working really hard. And yeah. that was quite humbling for people to be saying that. And I think the other thing is that uh, what wasn't realistically known from our audience was just before we started recording, uh, Jesse was asked to have a selfie with a, you know, someone <laughs> yeah. he's just met for the first time right here in, in our recording studio. And, you know, it was really just so humbling the way that he said, hang on, I know you guys have got a tight time frame, but let's just, this person wants to have a photo. So let's get this done right. Yeah. In the end, she was struggling to do a selfie. So you took over for her, <laughs> offered the help. And I, and I think that's what I'm seeing there. But it's not just your mental challenge. It was also your, your beautiful partner Mel's challenge. So that must have stressed you guys as a couple. So it's hard enough to be a couple in 2019, 2020, Pete, just with the normal stresses of, in, yeah. in day-to-day life, let alone on reality TV with tight time frames, sleep deprivation. Talk us through what that was like to not just have all the, all the flow on you, but also the mental challenge between you and Mel as couples. Yeah, Mel and I for the first the first four weeks in particular really struggled. That was the hardest, probably the most difficult we've ever times we've ever had in our relationship. And that was because it was my dream to be on the show. It wasn't Mel's. Right. Mel had never watched the show before. Yep. Um, and when we decided to go on to it, Mel's like, Mel didn't want to do it. Mel said, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea about renovating, about real estate, about styling. Um, she's not. She's a confident person when she knows you, but if you don't, she's actually quite shy. And so for the first four weeks, she was like, what am I doing here? Like you're doing the styling, you're doing all the interior design, you're doing all the tradesman work. Like what am I doing here? And I'm like, just do whatever you can. That, that's all you need to do. Do whatever you can, support me, clean up. As long as you're having a good time, like, I, I don't mind if you don't do anything. As long as you're busy, that's fine. And... It was really tough for her because she honestly felt like she was quite hopeless and sort of helpless and really out of her comfort zone. But she grew throughout the the series. Mm. She did grow. And that was, I believe, for me, the most rewarding thing about the entire experience was watching Mel like really blossom from start to finish. And she just became this super confident person. She loved talking to the camera. I was falling in love with her, watching her on the show <laughs> even more. How cool is that? It's so cool. It was amazing. So and you won some money at the end, but you really won a life partner and saw the best of her in that particular, you know, you're never going to be in that sort of stress in your rest, hopefully, touch wood, you're never going to be in that sort of stress for the I rest of your life. I remember my wife telling me that when we when we travelled, it's like this is the big test when we when we travel and so forth. But the big test is really the block, isn't it? 14, 14 weeks in 14 a bubble weeks. and, you know, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Because you told me uh, in a private chat we had a few weeks back that, 
when the filming stopped, she virtually slept for almost like was it two days or something. She just collapsed on a on a bed and, and just didn't get off it for a day or two. Yeah, Mel, I think I think don't think we let, we didn't leave our bedroom for three days. Three days, wow, three days literally. And I think we would have instead of only sleeping for four hours and being awake for twenty, we would have only been awake for four hours and we were <laughs> sleeping for twenty. So does that physically, mentally, just drained you out, emptied you out, and you just go, we are just needing to recover here. Yeah, that, that's exactly what happened. It's, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys have ever been skydiving or anyone listening, but the first time I went skydiving, I had this massive adrenaline rush for like two days leading up to it. I'm about to throw myself out of a plane. And I remember throwing myself out the plane. I hit the ground and I'm shaking. I've got that much adrenaline running through my body. It was an, an incredible experience. An hour and a half later on the way home, I was asleep in the car <laughs> because it just all runs from your body and you, you know, like you just want to sleep. You're exhausted. You've got no energy. Yeah. That was like the block. You Because in a normal day scenario, you wouldn't be able to work seven days a week, 20 hours a day. You would just go, I'm just going to go to bed. I'll just stop. But you do not have that choice. Yeah. And there's so much excitement and things happening and drama that keep your adrenaline. So you run on adrenaline for 14 weeks. As soon as that stops, you just collapse. Like you, a lot of people get sick after the show. I know a couple of contestants were like quite ill for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, they almost like come down with like a flu or a fever, um, you know, because your body is exhausted yep. and your body wants to stop. Yes. Like there were people on the show, I won't name them, but like they were like nauseous. They were like people laying in the fetal position wow. in a sh- the bottom of a shower, like grown men, like, you know, one of the ladies was like physically ill, like throwing up in the hallway week. I know the first week Mel... Uh, went to sit down and, and woke up and had no idea where she was. She almost, she almost like passed out from exhaustion. And it's the only time I've seen Mel cry was in the first four days. She came to see me and I was like, are you okay? She couldn't talk. I thought she, I honestly thought she lost a family member. That's how distraught mm. she looked. Right. And I said, what's happened? And she said, I just, I just don't, I didn't know where I was. Like, I, I went to sit down. I don't remember sitting down. I woke Gosh. up on the floor. Um, I didn't know where you were. I just wanted to come and find you, like just to give you a hug. It was, uh, it was extreme. So, now, yeah. I, I'm, Mel, Mel was just incredible and so many people have said is she really, you know, like that. You couldn't get a more yeah. um, comforting, nurturing type person than Mel and she's just – the support she showed for you and, 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 and the support was just off the charts. And so what, what, what were some of the coping – because what you're describing there, it's almost like you're in a, under a bloody siege mentality for 14 weeks. Mm. What were some of the strategies, the coping strategies that you – I know you said, you know, just do what you can, whatever you can will be enough, you know, keep busy. But she grew past that. So you, you two must have had some sort of strategies as a couple that you were implementing to get you through, not just through, but allowed you to thrive through that sort of – by the end. Yes, well, like I said, the first four weeks Mel and I struggled because we were working against each other. Um, we, were, we were butting heads. But then after that, we started to work together. And so on, on a on a Sunday night, we would already have our floor plan, which we wanted to do, yep. set out. Then we'd sit down together and run through all the pros and cons. And then on the Monday night, we would actually do our shopping together. So we knew which sponsor stores we were going to go to. So together, we would look at your Freedom, your West Elm, and we would choose all the furnishings for that room. We'll choose the carpet we're going to use. We already come up with like the wardrobe design. And so every decision that we were making, we ended up making together. And so it took a lot of that pressure from her and a lot of pressure from me because we were agreeing on everything before we started. We never had to change a plan. And that made it so much easier for us. And when we did a bathroom, as much as they didn't like it, Mel and I would leave the block together and we'd go to Beaumont Tiles and we'd go to Reese. And we would choose all everything, all the fixtures and fittings that we want together. 
and the block would get upset about it. Keith and Dan give me a hard time about it. But we were finished on Monday. We knew exactly what we wanted. We agreed on it together. And then we just could just work for the next six days. Yeah. And that sort of made us a bit of a power couple. It also helped that at the same time, most of the times, we didn't start till Tuesday because they were so far behind in the build. Mm. And I think, well, there's no point in us both hanging around here having a thumb wall. We might as well go out and sort stuff out for the block and um, it ended up being beneficial. Yeah. And so anyone who's thinking, either listening or watching on our YouTube channel about going onto the block, you might go, I don't know, 400000 prize money's <laughs> worth all this. It sounds like it's sort of uh, really challenging. But I just love the way that, you know, you start off with this thing thinking I and me and it ended up becoming us and we. And then it's that work together, that collaboration that absolutely got you through. And, and uh, yeah, I only met Mel for the first time at the VIP night. And you could just tell straight away that she just knew she was very comfortable wherever that auction went. Because you guys, what you got from that experience was going to be far greater than any dollar amount could be at the end of it because you just felt like not, you would have been shattered if you didn't make any money. But I, I got the sense she just felt like she'd really just grown through that experience. So kudos to you two for doing well, that. There's, well, there's no God-given right that you get to go on the block and win money. No. And we've seen true. it. We've seen it before. You could win mm-hmm. five grand, ten grand. Some people haven't even sold in previous blocks. So um, it's been a bit of a um, crescendo in, in prize money over the last sort of couple of seasons. But... You know, the market, it's, it's a real market. I, I think the block is its own ecosystem is, is what I say. And it's we had five auctions last Saturday in St Kilda at $3 million plus. Now, not too many homes sell for over $3 million in St Kilda yep. on any given week, let yep. alone five oh, at once. Now, five of the same property in any market throughout Australia is a big, big, big yep. R. So it yep. does need its ecosystem. So the investors are well and truly they're alive and well um the depreciation schedules that's why we really hammer them home but there are still some people who um like we sold to a, a lady uh, and her husband who are going to um live there and you're pretty happy um with that so like my goal coming into it so typically these homes do sell to investors they make fantastic investments i really wanted to sell to an owner occupied i wanted to sell to someone who appreciate the thought that we went into the design who appreciate the quality of the tradesmanship that went into it the level of execution and also the, the sophistication that we brought to it and i was thinking it was going to be an executive couple like you know a doctor or a lawyer one of those sort of upper echelons yes and we literally sold to a husband wife couple <laughs> he's a doctor she's a lawyer and they're going to live in the home and i like i feel as though we won the block in that respect that we sold to someone who loves our home and wants to move in great distinction i love mm. that just the fact that you get the actual the reward both ways in the sense of the monetary and the emotional reward that you did produce a, a product that someone valued to that sort of extent i pete the other thing and i, I, I want to i'm going to take over now because i want to know before you do that can, yep. I, can i just say one thing and before um before you just go there because I, I i don't want to um, skip over something that's really important and that was the initial comments made about Jesse at the start yes. of the block to, yep. the, to the end because I think that's that's really important and, and knowing Jesse, we're, we're very, very close. So knowing Jesse really well, um, he has got that ability. He, he's a duck. He can literally yep. shake it off and move yep. on. A lot of people can't. Yep. And, you know, Jesse's such an incredible product of his beautiful family. Now I met his, uh, his mum and dad and sisters on auction day, um, beautiful girls and just such warm and loving parents as well they're just they were so proud of you and it's interesting when when people make comments like that and and without knowing yeah, someone and i get it i get yeah, it i'm not yeah. it's it's it's, yeah. it's not necessarily a, a major sort of criticism because it's just commentary yeah. really yeah but there's people with a life and when you when you get to know the guy and know 
where his heart truly is mm. and, and the love he has for his, his partner in Mel and, and, to, and to hear his mum and dad and sisters talk. They were, they were bursting with pride, yep. bursting with pride yep. and, and just so proud. And what I want to get to is, is because it's social media is such a big yep. factor in today's life and, and just before kicking back over to you, Rick, but I just want to touch on this social mm. media stuff because you get pretty – you hit get – hit mm. pretty hard mm-hmm. with social media and that's all the contestants and I'm talking significantly like people with the the strongest opinions, um, right, wrong or indifferent, that they're offering <laughs> um, in terms of personalities and workmanship and, and just life stuff. How do you deal with that? And, and and I want you to answer this in such a way that uh, how do you deal with it? You're a bit of a different beast like because you can – you just seem to make that glass half full all the time. Um, but w- w- what would be your comment there around how it affects you, Mel, families, other contestants? Yeah, I was very fortunate. Like I'm, I'm a very positive person, always the optimist. And so when I was receiving criticism on social media, especially for the first half of the show, it honestly did not affect me because I didn't know these people and I knew that I was right most of the time what I was talking about and so that made it easier for me. But I was struggling with how it was affecting Mel, how it was affecting like my mum, my grandma, my sisters because I wouldn't go on there. I wouldn't read 500 comments, negative comments that were made about me. I will just laugh about it and I look at it and go, oh, that's a stinger, almost like a stand-up comedy joke. I was like, what a ripper, that bloody. <laughs> that was a perler right between the eyes, that one. And I'd laugh it off. But to them, they struggled with it. Yeah. And I know like my grandma was upset about it, my mum, my sisters. So how did you deal with that? What, what, what did you, how did you help them cope through it? Similar to the way I helped other contestants cope with it on the show, I, I you know, get a real sense of joy by helping other people and so I would call them to comfort them and to consult with them to make them feel better and by making them feel better about it to not worry about it was making myself feel better I think it's my 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 personality trait being an extrovert you know I feed off other people's energy and so when I would speak to them and they were down I'd make it my mission to make them happy to like don't worry about it you know like and I would explain the backstory to it so then that way when they were talking to someone about it instead of having a really emotional response they could explain like well the Victorian building standard you don't need a second floor waste instead of he say he said she said and I was explaining to them my thought behind every decision I was making and then that was helping them cope with it and yeah I'm I'm very fortunate like it is water off a duck's back and it doesn't get me down I feel as though you sign up for it and honestly, like I've been on social media since I was seven, probably 14 years old on MySpace. I've never left a comment about a stranger and it has to be a really good post that a friend of mine does for me to even comment on that, right? That's the sort of person I am. So the type of person who would go on there and leave a nasty comment about someone they've never met before, have no idea, haven't been through the experience, you are not someone whose opinion that values to me and you cannot upset me at all. I think we just stopped the interview right there. <laughs> if you can't take that, I mean, that's the that's the beauty. We've talked about this with other guests, Pete, haven't we? If you don't value the person, don't value the feedback, but it's easier said than done. Yeah, and because we are human. And you know, I think the, the latest study I saw since 2007 
the rate of uh, emotional, you know, uh, well, I guess mental health challenges and emotional well-being challenges has doubled. Now, there's an interesting point there. What happened in 2007, the smartphones went very smart. It was the launch of the iPhone. It was the launch of the App Store. It was the launch of this ability for everyone to take a photo, everyone to make an opinion, and everyone to be all of a sudden keyboard warriors. We see someone on a TV show for 45 minutes and we think we know what that person is, so we'll now make a comment on their whole life. Yeah. And as you say, it, was, it wasn't worrying you so much. It was worrying the people you love about the mm. most. And, you know, I think that my view on that is I, I just think Jesse's just summed that up beautifully, Pete. Mm. It's as good as you can do it. Now, I'm going to take over again. I'm going to hijack here because <laughs> everyone I've talked to go, what is that show? Like, that show's a setup. They've got Channel 9 executives buying it. They've got, okay, sorry, where, where are you getting all this information from? Oh, I followed it, mate. Don't worry, on social media. I go, oh, okay, all right. Everyone uh, is an expert there. So talk us through, um, you know, the inner workings of the of the block. I mean, the from an auctioneer standpoint, Pete, how much of that uh, is actually brought to the vision? Because you, you see maybe five minutes of an auction. You don't see the, the the full sort of auction scenario where buyer agents are going out and talking to their, you know, prospects coming back in again. Yeah, you know, it's totally different to a standard everyday garden variety auction you do every Saturday in front of quality property. Talk us through what that what the differences yeah. were there. Well, there's there's a certain amount of time that you're you can have on TV. So um, there's things that that sell and make people watch TV. That's theatre and yep. action and something happening and a good storyline and all that sort of stuff. So they they do need to cut it and trim it. Um, I actually felt I did one of the best preambles to an auction I've ever done in my life, and we didn't see it. Zero was shown. <laughs> um, luxury, sophistication, bespoke. You, you, know, you took um, every every word I'd used to describe the property. Pete took it out of my mouth. I had a tear in my eye listening to it. And one of my friends said, did you write that for Pete? Because it was <laughs> like you were speaking about the property. I, it was amazing, Pete. You did a really good job. Thank you. But anyway, that didn't get changed. So, um, so yeah, so that has to be cut. So there was a lot that was missing. I dragged that auction out twice as long as what people thought I dragged it out. But I actually dragged it out twice as long. In fact, I went to Danny, who was the underbidder, going, you know, I said once, twice, going, going going to ask you for one more. Can you just give me one more? And and, and so that, that was all, all just a bit, bit humorous and all that sort of stuff. But when you're doing an auction there, you're not doing it for the camera. You're doing it for Jesse. Yeah. And you're doing it for, for the crowd. Yep. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> Jesse and Mel. You are. You're doing it for yep. Jesse and Mel. And you're doing it for the audience there. And I fed off that. You, you do not even think for one second about the viewer and the yep. person at home. Yep. That's my job. And yep. it was interesting. So, so that was one side of it. So significantly cut the auction started ridiculously high good that was good um because they made 300k plus off the bat that was awesome so all of a sudden the nurse came out 343 ahead from the first bid weren't we so yeah yeah that's right and so so the um the ego factor says well gee i didn't get a chance to really show more flair and start low and build it up and all that sort of stuff but at the end of the day is we um we already got a great deal of money at the start then just topped on top and everything was a bonus yep. from there on because actually what wasn't shown as well was what did you say when that bid came in? Yeah, the first bid came in and I was like, that's absolutely incredible. And Scotty said, nah, there's more out there. I said, knock it down, Pete, job well done. <laughs> he goes, we're out of here. <laughs> Tip your waitresses, we're off. <laughs> yeah, so, and so the other the other theatrical piece they did and Scotty said, oh, he's nervous and, and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Which, yeah, this is his first time. Which, you know, yeah. there, was no, there was no more or less nerves than what you'd ever do going into an auction. It's the first time. It's like, well, it's actually my 10,000th time. But, yeah, um, yeah, so but first time as a, as a block auctioneer, so that was good. And then the then the floor manager made me stand in a spot 
And then a minute later came up and said, no, no, you've moved. You've got to move over here. And that's when he moves me on camera. And it's like, mate, you told me to stand over there. He goes, no, I didn't. And I thought, oh, something's going on here. So you just know. Like it's one of those things you've been set up sort of moments. And I thought, oh, they got, there's a story behind this. And yeah, but, Pete, um, Pete's looking down the floor and there's a piece of tape and he moves over and he's like, isn't the tape <laughs> over <laughs> there? Doesn't X mark the spot? And yeah. just for our listening audience and our viewing audience on YouTube, Peter at Kakos has a history as a, a young auctioneer being put through what's called the Novice Auctioneer, the State Auctioneer Competition in Victoria, the Australasian Auctioneer, which is to find the best auctioneer across Australia and New Zealand. So he's not uh, adverse to being put into strange situations or being tried to be you know tripped up with you know bidding and questions and things of that nature. So, again, that was something that probably most of the viewers wouldn't have known about you. Yeah. Uh, and so when Scotty pre-frames said, oh, this is his first time, he'll be a bit <laughs> nervous. It's like uh, he's, he's not nervous but he's got high energy and I was just laughing thinking this will be like nothing that would worry Peter. Oh. It, I, but I knew, I said to my wife at the time who, knew, who knows you very well, mate, and loves you as you know, she said all he'll be wanting to do is make as much money as he can for Jesse and Mel. I said that's exactly what he'll be doing. Yeah. I knew you'd be focused in on that. So I did mate, feel like that, that racehorse and then the and the gates, gates open, open and then boom you're away and all this pent up sort of just wanted to get on with it and do it and then when it finishes it was like that adrenaline rush that you were talking about jesse you just you actually want to go and do it all again yeah um yeah, but time it, over again you wouldn't have changed anything you did it as well as nah, you yeah, yeah. no nah, everyone i've said everyone who i know knows you said it's a shame they wouldn't have shown a lot more of his flair but i said they showed enough to 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 remind you what you know about peter and yeah. therefore to let the public that didn't know about him go he did a, a great job. So, mate, you should be bloody proud. We were we were stoked for you and we had a big family powwow about it, Jesse, with um, yeah, our eldest son and uh, our youngest son who you know very well now and uh, his girlfriend and uh, it was just clearly, other than the fact that my eldest son thought Damien Cooley was the better auctioneer, I, you know, I, I defended <laughs> you. I he's a good auctioneer. He's they're, all, they're all good guys and I'll tell you, the, the, the camaraderie between the agents of all the houses is, is exceptional. Fantastic. Um, we just get on so well. We're all really, really close friends and all that sort of stuff. Stuff and they all know Jesse and that, so everyone wanted everyone to do well. That was a that was the most important thing. And that's an overriding theme. Everyone so, wanted everyone to do well. Yeah, and I yeah, think the yeah. other thing, Pete, is in the past you've always been sort of the uh, the agent. It was it, it was yeah. interesting for you now to actually move from being the agent to actually at least having some major control as the auctioneer. Yeah, it was it, it's it's great. That's why I first became an auctioneer because it's nice to sort of see it all the way through Got as it. an agent. And I was incredibly supported and, and Brendan Walker really managed oh, the campaign. Okay. Let's not get too big <laughs> with Brendan. He was yeah. good with a pencil. Yeah. But he's, he's a brilliant guy and, and ran a brilliant <laughs> campaign as well. So um, along with all of our team here at the agency, like it was – it was a team effort. Yeah. It really was. And yeah. you just can't do a block no. with one or two people. You need the whole team behind and you. But the last thing I'll yep, say about yep. that is is I'm, I'm not worried at how I was betrayed in terms of that first time auctioning. So that's all part of it and all that sort of yeah. stuff. I just love being a part of it. I think, um, you know, Channel 9 and the block and the whole crew, I love the crew and, and the production people. Like they do they do an incredible job. Yep. So however they want to do it, like yeah, it they'll do it. You're you know okay what? with that? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And it wasn't like you didn't have a great product to sell. So getting back to that one, Jesse. Mm. So did you arrive in the lounge with Scotty and Mel and just go, you know, we've done everything we can? Was it almost fatalistic? Like here we are and whatever happens, happens? Or were you going there thinking, well, the first of all, we're all sold. So 
there's a strong chance for us. I mean, there was a lot of controversy, if you want to say that, about the order. And, you know, um, I don't know how much that was edited out or how much was left in for the viewer. But, you know, even the order as well, like the day before, it was talk, talk us through that as a, as a contestant and knowing that you've got a real estate bent on mm-hmm. it, but yeah. as a contestant. Yeah, talk me through it too, the order. <laughs> We all came to the conclusion uh, as all the agents, contestants, that House 1 should go first. They had the most number of confirmed bidders and specific to their house. Therefore, you would think if they're only specific to their house, they would have the most competition. They should sell for the most amount of money, set the benchmark really high, and then the other four contestants can try to chase them down. Okay, now stop there. So when that first hammer came down, when Cooley's knocked it down and it was the the number that, that, that was there... What was, your, three, three, what, was seven, the, two? what was the first thought in your head? Well, I was a little bit concerned. Um, I didn't think they had the best house. No, I get that. Yep. Um, and I thought, well, everyone else seems to think that they do. Everyone in the media, everything we hear about on domain, they've got the best house, got the best house. And I'm thinking, well, if the best house only got you know three hundred eighty thousand dollars, well, then if we tear it down. And I'm going last, and typically they get a little bit less, less, and less. I was thinking if I make two hundred thousand dollars, I'll be happy, and that was the figure that I had in my mind. So when Tess and Luke went second, they had the second number of most confirmed bidders and specific to their home, so it made sense that they go second. And then there's just absolutely run away. Two emotional buyers, both wanting to live there, and you know, as in real estate, we do say a home's only worth what a buyer's prepared to pay for it. Well, in this case, they were prepared to pay a lot more for it because they wanted to live there and they'll be happy there for the next 10 to 15 years, right? Yep. So the extra couple hundred thousand it sold for more than the others is irrelevant compared to how much growth it will have. Yep. And that one just ran away. So when that one got up to $630,000, I was thinking, right, well, I think, you know, maybe we won't catch them, but we're probably going to earn around the same as the boys now. We're probably going to get three or $400,000. Third one? Third one. Um, we actually wanted to go third. That was the ideal scenario, three, four, and five, all wanted third position, had to draw it out of a sand bucket. And typical to our story on the block, house five last, we had to draw last and got less left with the, the fifth house. But that's just the way it goes. You make the best of any situation. And obviously, Matt and Elise went third. They had an awesome auction, got 450000 over reserve. And then true to form, Deb and Andy went, came a little bit less, 30,000 less. They got 420. We went last. Obviously, three of those houses had already sold to investor clients who all would have been bidding on ours. But we ended up getting $388,000 over reserve and could not be happier with that result. Okay. Absolutely ecstatic. From the start, I thought, watching last year, Jess and Norn came last. They got $200,000. I still think that's a good amount of money. Yes, it is a lot of work that you'll put into it. But I genuinely believe that all the money from the block will come after it if you do it properly, not just the winning. The winning is a small head start in life. It's a 20% deposit for a house you want to buy, your stamp duty, and you can do a renovation. That's literally all it is. It's not a lot of winning. You're not traveling the world for 12 months and you're not retiring on that <laughs> money. It's a good little head start. But hopefully the way that Mel and I played it was smart enough that we can actually build off that and maybe create a more comfortable lifestyle after the block, not just on it. Well, there'll be no doubt about that. And just the last one on that, and then we'll wrap up because we know you've uh, got tough media commitments. Your appointments are just full. You know, <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's got appraisals and... No, no, mate. It? I don't know if you realise he's been hanging out with he's Brian Lara. He's, 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 he's on Brian Lara. He's been hanging out with Brian Lara. He's been ha- hanging out with Usain Bolt. You know, Ricky Ponting's just a B-grader with this man now. He's Brett just, Lee. Yeah, Brett Lee. Oh, Binger. We love Binger, don't we? We had a chat about that off here. When the reserves came out all exactly the same, what was your immediate gut reaction to that? Euphoria. 
Yeah. I thought every single person is going to make $200,000 minimum, minimum yeah. when I saw that reserve. And I think, you know, thank you very much to Channel 9. Uh, they were obviously pretty generous to everyone this year. I think it's a reflection of the hard work and the effort that every single contestant put in. Yeah. Typically the show goes for 10 to 11 weeks. This one went to 14 weeks. So it was an extra three weeks of the biggest, hardest block ever. And they've all said that they'll never do it this size again. They pushed it too far. And it wasn't just for the contestants. The building crew who do the block, they're at their wits end. All the production crew because they're massive hours. And you got a sound guy and a producer and a cameraman following you all day. So they're running up three flights of scaffold <laughs> just as many times as you are. They've got a 40-kilogram camera on the side of them. They've got a 20-kilogram sound bite. Mm. Think bag that hangs off them. Everybody goes through the drama with you, and yep. everyone is tired. Yeah. So they they'll never do it that large again. They find ways to make it harder. For instance, this year uh, they let us use the crane, and you know the the price of using the crane is about a carton of beer. It's not too bad when the crane's about fifteen hundred dollars an hour. So you pay the beer. <laughs> um, but last year at the Gatwick, they weren't allowed to use the crane. They had yep. to take everything up the stairs. stairs yep. So they right. do find ways to make it just as hard, but they'll never do it as big. And uh, an idea of size as well. The average block property is about two forty to two fifty square meters, and this year they're four hundred and sixty odd square meters. So they're you know best part of double the size. Mm. It's interesting that we had we had one of the previous block properties on the market going back a few months ago and I walked in and looked around and said, did they finish this in a week? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the other thing is that I only got to see the ground level of your one because on the VIP night, I think there were three stories which was absolutely jammed, packed with people. In fact, it was so funny. I was just saying to Jesse Pete off air that um, when Gay and I arrived for the VIP night, people had been looking at all of them from, you know, 5.30 onwards and they all queued up to look through Jesse and Mel's. Like they all wanted to get in there and I could hear this guy chatting to the lady – who was at the door won't give her name but she's just like oh sorry so this is a vip function it's like yeah but we want to what, do we, what does it take to get in like this is a, and this wasn't some generation next guy this was a guy who was yeah. in the autumn of his life wanted to look through this because he wanted to see the floor pattern that jesse had sort of done he wanted to see it wanted to walk on it and then again i just walked on straight on through and the guy goes well he hasn't got a badge on he hasn't got a <laughs> yeah like it was almost like scary but i didn't get to see the whole thing i i was mesmerized by the pattern work on the floor that was just outstanding the wine rack that we talked Talked about at a, at a previous meeting. Mosaic we had. tiles, no, one hundred fifteen thousand. I know. I looked at it and I just thought, but then two hundred fifteen. I couldn't move from. I was pinpointed out in the courtyard because the pace was absolutely humming, and the fact that you know so many people there just wanting the best for you guys kind of confirms. I think what Pete started off with. Australia gets to see a capitalised image of you. He's arrogant. He's cocky. He's all those sorts of things. No, no. What he is, he's very clear on what he wants. He's very passionate about what what he wants to achieve. He has a plan. He has a vision. He's not stating a preference. He's making an absolute commitment. He didn't do it on his own. He did it with a life partner. His thrill out of it is is that their love and their connection has just gone to a much deeper level. And the fact that they've got some money from it is one part of the equation. The fact that they know how they'll operate under the worst of times together is a real bonus, I would think. And the fact that, you know, uh, my gut feeling is is that this is just the tip of the iceberg for what you will turn this into is something I'm excited to sort of watch and follow and watch that journey. And I think you both should be bloody proud, not just for representing your brand, the agency, which is a, a stunning sort of uh, scenario in itself, just the way you conducted yourselves as human beings. You know, I'm, you know, Pete's one of my closest friends, Jesse, and I couldn't have been more prouder of it. And I texted him that, that night when I saw the, the vision and I was sending him you know, best wishes that I was sending you too. But what I've now learned since you've been involved in, uh, helping our middle son buy his first real estate uh, property and 
Yeah, the fact that his future mother-in-law thinks you're uh, hot, which is, you know, that's okay, Anya, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Jim, <laughs> the fact that Jim thinks you're hotter, which is worrying me, I'm not too sure, but the fact that uh, everyone who's engaged with you that I know from a third-party standpoint say, you know, he's exactly different to what people project him to be is really what's summing up Pete's uh, point there about the fact that you have grown and have been sort of uh, seen for who, ultimately who you are, not the snapshot we see on a uh, Sunday night or a Monday night or whenever the block is on. Yeah, and that was that's what I saw about 14 to 15 months ago and when um, Jesse quit his previous job at the end of the year, we played golf in January and uh, he said, I've got something to tell you. Um, bit of a secret at the moment, but, you know, I, I, I might be on the block. It's like, wow, because I'm you know, trying to recruit him at that stage. He goes, so I'm making no decision about where I'm going until I finish the block, which was finished in about June or something like that. So... Mm-hmm. So he, he really was in limbo and when, when it was the agent sort of decision time or choice that the, the contestants had and, and Jesse came through, we, we, it wasn't a lay down was there that he was going to use us. We, <laughs> we, we thought we're a good chance here. However, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, unfortunately they, um, which actually ended up all right, but they did throw a curveball in terms of they had to win a challenge to then pick the agent. I was like, oh, my God, if Jesse does come and work for us, and another contestant chooses me, it's going to be again. So for those who don't know, um, uh, my wish did come true and, and Jesse did join uh, the agency in July this year uh, and works here in out of this Albert Park office and, uh, and plans to further dominate the St Kilda and Surrounds sort of area, which he's doing an incredible job. He's, a, he's an incredible agent um, and well-rounded guy. People just gravitate towards him and his energy as your son experienced, yeah. uh, Rick, in terms of um, being able to, to have real conversations and support and nurture those buyers, whether they're, you know, and, and the vendors, whether they're selling their one or two-bedroom apartment to whether they're selling their 10 or a 12 or $15 million home. Um, Jesse just offers something special. So we're, we're incredibly proud. I'm incredibly proud to have him alongside me every single day and um, and the journey is, is, is going to get even better, mate. I assure you of that. And just taking a, a finer point to that, Peter, we did experience it through our family connection buying and uh, you know, our son Chris and his beautiful partner, Jessica, and uh, Jessica's parents, Jim and Enya. And uh, we all said the same thing when we did the family debrief that Jesse has this unique way of getting inside your shoes and walking with you through it. Not you know, Here's the deal, here's the number, make the number work. It's virtually... I get it. I've been, I know what you. I know what you're going through. But here's what I. If it was me, this is what I'd be thinking. Don't focus there so much. Focus here. Get this happening because it's certainly wasn't that they got it under market or it's not that they got it under va- under uh, their budget. They had to stretch. In fact, they had to big borrow and steal. Uh, I'm actually charging 17% interest <laughs> on the extra money, Christopher, that I lent you. Um, I'm only joking. But the point I guess I'm trying to make is if there's one thing that connects quality people that we've interviewed on this podcast all the way through, Pete, is their absolute empathy to understand what someone else is going through. The fact that you heard Jesse say that when he wasn't worried about what was being said about him, he was worried about how his grandmother was taking it, how his mother was taking it, how his sisters were taking it, how Mel was taking it, tells us that he's outward thinking and about you know what's best for you is going to be best for me and so let's just make sure that that's the case. But if you are looking for an agent who is going to help you through the buying, selling, designing process and you know, can give you advice, uh, we'll make sure that Jesse's details are available on on this link here you won't get a more direct 
honest, open guy in the game of real estate than Jesse Rayburn. It's been my absolute pleasure to deal with him through our family situation. Couldn't use any of my smart lines on him. Pete didn't work. Uh, the vendor still just got the <laughs> good morning. result. Everyone, yeah, I know. Everyone got a, a good result. But um, it, we're hoping you're enjoying this interview. We're hoping that you can share it with your networks. Most importantly, rate the information. Uh, if you do want to leave some positivity, Jesse will read it. If you want to leave some negativity in the comments, we won't read it. <laughs> None of us will care. But we do uh, actually want to take this opportunity of saying congratulations, Peter Kakos, the best auctioneer I know, the best auctioneer I've ever seen. Uh, and I've seen him work in the field. I've seen him work under competition. He is a leader what he does. And to Jesse and to Mel, congratulations to you two for producing uh, what was said by third-party independent people as the best property on the block. And I was there listening to a quantity surveyor give that direct feedback to about 150 people that somehow fitted into your kitchen uh, terrace area. <laughs> um, but also, can I just say that um, we also want to say congratulations to all the contestants on the block who seemingly all did incredibly well and uh, we look forward to hearing about the ongoing success of the block moving forward because I'm pretty sure the uh, one-time novice auctioneer may get another gig back and I'm sure that Jesse will be somehow involved in whoever is involved from this particular company's organisation if that's the case. Could be against each other. Anything is possible. <laughs> so on behalf of Peter Kakos, the one of the world's greatest auctioneers, uh, Jesse Rayburn, one of the world's greatest guys, and Rick Rustin is saying thank you again for another wonderful episode and thank you for your subscription and keep on listening. Beautiful. Thanks, mate. Thank you. We trust you enjoyed listening to Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton, Peter Kakos, and their valued guests. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source, and we love to hear both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Additional information can be sourced through our website, VoicesOfValuePodcast.com Join the conversation again next week when 